0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to In for Life the Podcast. This is episode 262 called Kristen Dylan Snyder. All right, guys. Before we get started, I just want to send a heartfelt thank you to everybody who's purchased a copy of Work of Art, my new children's book about IVF and assisted reproductive technology, everybody who's bought it, everybody who's shared about it, everyone who's DM'd me, sent me messages, photos. It has meant the world to me that so many people are embracing this book and loving it. So if you don't have a copy yet and you want to check one out, you can go to infertileafgroup.com slash books and check it out there. And just again, thank you guys so much. I'm going to do some book events. So follow my Instagram at Stories for info on that. But again, if you want to check out the book, you can go to infertileafgroup.com slash books. Okay, so my guest today is a dear friend of mine. It's Kristen Dillon-Snyder. She is an infertility coach. She is also a Fertility Rally support group host. So again, if you guys wanna join the rally, go to fertilityrally.com or check us out on Instagram. We've got really great hosts, including Kristen and so many others. And Kristen today is going to share her story, her family building journey And as usual, it's got lots of twists and turns and ups and downs. And she is a phenomenal woman who's now in this world, helping other women build their families. So without further ado, this is Kristen's infertility story. my friend. How are you today? I'm so good to see you. I'm so, I love talking to you. Remember that one day we talked on the phone for like, it was supposed to be just a quick catch up and like an hour and a half later, I was like, oh my God, we have, to, we have to stop. We have to get off. We had such a good, we talk about life and business and all the things. So I just adore you. And full disclosure, I will say you are one of our Fertility Rally hosts for our group, which has been awesome. So thank you for being a part of that. Before we get into the stuff, why don't you tell, tell everybody like what you do coaching wise and like where they can find you. Let's do that right off the bat and then we'll get into your story.
1: Okay. Oh, I love that. We'll switch it up. So, yeah, yeah, I'm so glad to be here. And I love being a part of Fertility Rally. I think what y'all have created is such a needed piece to the infertility journey for people. And so I just love that. But I started doing coaching where I started with one on one because I felt like I needed to talk to one person who knew this, who knew what was going on, who knew the language, knew the words, who could almost finish my sentences. So I didn't have to spend the time when I was looking for support educating. And I love that. And what I I've learned over the years, because I started this in 2019, is that everybody has different needs and everybody's journey is different. And so Fertility Rally is an awesome thing. And what I offer, it can be in addition or Mm -hmm. in for someone else who just really wants that one-on-one stuff so that there's options out there. So I love that we can work. Together in that way, you can find me on Instagram. That's where I'm most active, and it's my name, which is Kristen Dylan Snyder. Mm-hmm. Um, if you put in Kristen and IVF coach, it will usually show up. So you don't have to spell my last name.
0: <laughs> <'Cause even laughs>
1: my dad, I don't think, knows how to spell it.
0: <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah. Okay, and so I do let's...
1: one-on-one coaching and small group coaching, like teeny tiny small group coaching, because I offer the support that people who are in really high-powered high-achieving positions where they feel like they cannot talk about this whole other part of their life
0: because that was my experience.
1: I was going through infertility and IVF and it was consuming my life, but I was in a position at work where I couldn't talk about it. So it felt like I was living this double life where I could show up to work, with this mask on, like I got it, I can handle this. I've got all of this together. I'm taking care of an advertising agency and eight human resources, and I have could handle everything, but I also felt like I was one breath or one piece of bad news away from falling apart. And I couldn't share a piece of it because I didn't want to show that vulnerability and that weakness to the people in my world. So most of the people who work with me don't want to talk to their partners about it or their pregnant friends, or they can't feel like they can open up at work. And so
0: they come to me to be the safe space to
1: show up exactly as they are.
0: That's that's so good. Okay. So let's start with you. Did you always Mm -hmm. want to have kids?
1: Always. Yes, I'm the biggest sister. I'm the big sister. And I always wanted to be a mom. And the re- first reason was because I wanted to pick what was for dinner.
0: Oh my <laughs> God. My mom
1: always said, like, well, I get to pick what's for dinner because I'm the mom. And so that was, I think, what started all
0: of it. <laughs> and okay, now so what's as your go to? Who has to
1: pick dinner? I hate it.
0: <laughs> yeah. What's your go to family dinner? I need some ideas. Oh, well,
1: the easy thing is Italian pasta bake. It's sort of like one of those things that I make when anybody I know is going through like a hard time or recovering from surgery. You can freeze it. You can feed lots of people. So that's my easy go-to.
0: Okay. So fast forwarding a whole bunch. What did you know about your fertility? Like as a young woman,
1: I knew the basics of don't get pregnant like everybody else who was saying Don't have sex, because when you do, you will have a baby on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I also was raised Catholic, so it was very like, do not do this. This is reserved for husband and wife. It is for baby. Like, sex equals babies.
0: And Mm -hmm. that was
1: very wrong, too. And I'm the oldest of three girls, and I was the last one to become a mom. Okay, so so tell me about
0: what happened when you guys started to try. Like, Did you have problems right away, or like, what was your experience with that?
1: Well, the advantage is that this is marriage number two for myself and my husband. Okay. So we were older when we got together. And so our first conversations when we were even dating was like, what do you want family-wise? Because that was so important to me. I already felt like I was behind in life because I got divorced. And I was moving backwards. And so here I was getting married at 35 and not a mom. All my friends were already... Half of my friends were already moms and married. And here I was going backwards. So I Mm -hmm. had really early on conversations with my husband to say hey this matters to me like i want to we'll get married and we will be trying immediately right mm-hmm. away and we did have the advantage of knowing that there was male factor infertility um so we got right into it i went to the ob pretty much like the month after i got married but then i also had to have back surgery and an appendectomy an emergency appendectomy in the same oh, year so it sort of delayed our start but we started with doing iuis and none of them worked
0: Okay. So we had to so move on to IVF. Tell me about the IUI piece of it. What did you, what did that feel like for you? Cause I feel like we skate over that a bunch. And I actually have to be honest, like I kind of forgot that I did a couple of IUIs. Like in, I mean, I, I now I remember when I'm talking about my journey, but like when I talk about it, I'm like, oh yeah, that was the first thing we tried. Cause it seems so, it was such a weird experience for me. How did you find the IUI experience?
1: I thought it was the answer. Because of the male factor infertility, I was told that IUI was what we had to do, and that that was it. So it was just a matter of take some medicine. And I did this so far back that it was Clomid, you know, the gateway drug for infertility treatments. And I had all those side effects. And my husband and I talked about how hormonal I got all the time. Hormonal. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So he, that was like our safe, that was our safe word. Like he could say hormotional. And I knew I had to take a breath and back up that I I was picking on him and maybe being a little extra saucy when that Mm -hmm. was not necessary and not his fault, not Mm -hmm. warranted on his part. So yeah, hormotional, borrow it if you need it. It is a good word. I love that. It made us laugh. It's a great word. Yeah, thanks. So we talked about how hormonal I got, and it was very secretive. It was my husband and I knew. I did open up with my mom and sisters about it, but I felt like I didn't have to tell people about it because I would be pregnant. Mm. Like I would do the IUI, and I would just be pregnant, and then I would just wait until I was like twelve weeks, and then right. I would announce, and I didn't have to tell people about it.
0: Right. And so, it, is this it, it kind of work. what you were talking about before, where you know you were in? like a workspace, for example, and you didn't want to kind of reveal, like what was going on with you work-wise? And is that why you were kind of keep trying to keep it a little bit secret?
1: I don't think I kept it secret at work at first for that. But I think most people who are trying to conceive, like our fertile friends, they don't go and tell their bosses, hey, by the way, I'm trying to get pregnant because your boss doesn't want to know that you're going to be on maternity leave soon. And right. we're a military family. We got married. We got We moved to Alabama. I didn't know anybody except my husband. I got a new job. So I was new at this business. I wasn't about to open up and say, Hey, by the way, thanks for hiring me. I plan to be out for a couple of months later this year. So I didn't tell them at the beginning with IUIs, just because nobody tells at the beginning. And IUIs were so easy. Like I would go to the doctor and you'd he'd be like, Okay, great. Bye. And then you just go on as life as usual. So it felt like I was just going to grab lunch. Um, I became friends with the clinic, all the staff. So the nurses, the infertility nurse, the um, ultrasound stenographer, even the doctor. So I loved going in and seeing them all the time, all those appointments and monitoring with the IUI. But I really felt like it was the answer. And I thought I would just be pregnant in a month. And so I didn't have to be opening up to everybody in my world about it. But then we Mm -hmm. did four rounds and none of them were working.
0: Okay. So tell me about the IVF piece. How did it feel when you guys pivoted and moved on to that phase. Like were you what when with it when they were like, IUI is not happening. Next phase. Like how did that feel emotionally?
1: Well part was like, oh shit, like have I missed my turn? Have I missed my chance? You know, like I said, I got unmarried. So I felt like maybe I missed this window of opportunity i knew about the ticking clock and how i was old cuz i was 35 and now i was th- i was actually now 36 and so it felt really like there was a lot of pressure but my doctor said to me he said i think ivf is your best chance knowing your age and how you know, kind of desperately, you want to be a mom. And he recommended that we see a doctor that was an hour and a half away at UAB, which is in um, Birmingham, Alabama. And we lived in Montgomery. So it's an hour and a half away. He said, but that doctor is former military. So I think you'll like that aspect. And that's your best chance. So I felt like we were calling in the big guns. Like this was it. Bring it on. I'm ready. I wanted to be a mom three years ago. (laughs) Like, let's make it happen. Um, and then I was wildly shocked and surprised at what IVF actually was like and went through. We did two rounds before we got pregnant with my first with my daughter.
0: Okay. So tell me about what, what was so wildly different about it.
1: Well, I knew about the hormone impact, again, like the hormonal thing from Clomid. I think what was so different was that I thought it was a guarantee Mm -hmm. And I thought it would go from point A to point B to point C. And I actually have a podcast episode on my own podcast where I talk about like the things I wish I knew at the beginning of IVF. And it's to share a lot of this and go a lot deeper in it. But it doesn't go the way you think it will. And it always takes longer. Like Mm -hmm. even if you do one cycle, one Mm -hmm. cycle ends up taking longer than you think. I thought I would go in and I would be pregnant in a month.
0: (laughs) Totally. I know I've, I've, I felt the same exact way and I was like, oh, this is just a choice that people make and it always works. Like that's how little I knew about it. So you said it was the second round and then you did get pregnant. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So the first round we did, we ended up getting four embryos and we did a fresh transfer, but it did not work. And we froze the rest. And then we did a second round because I was feeling older. And so we did this egg bank cycle. And that second cycle, we added genetic testing and we got four embryos again, but we had one genetically tested positive and we did a frozen transfer for that. And that's my daughter who's now sick home from school. (laughs) Um, so that is my, sorry, that was my one happy, healthy six-year-old daughter. Um, and so that worked for us, but I'm one of five kids. So when I thought about my story, did I think I would get divorced? No. <laughs> did I think I would marry somebody in the military? No. Did I mm-hmm. think I would have a one and only? No. Right. Like, and so my world looks very different than what I had always imagined it to be. Um, I've done the work to be totally okay with it. And I'm happy with what my life looks like. Um, mm-hmm. I understand the journey it took, but we did try. So we did a sibling cycle. We did a third round of IVF when my daughter was six months old. So I, we, I stopped nursing at that point so that we could go in and do an egg retrieval. And we said to ourselves, we already have, because I know you went through secondary infertility, like right. we already have a happy, healthy baby at home. How much are we willing to go through with this? Because it had consumed my life and it took over and I didn't want to be missing out on my daughter's life. So we said we'd do one round and whatever came of that, we would do that many transfers and have that many babies and that would be it. So we did Mm -hmm. that one sibling cycle and we ended up with most. I was the oldest and I got the most embryos. We -hmm. did genetic testing though. And out of the eight, only one was genetically good. So we did a transfer, but then we had a miscarriage and that totally threw me for a loop because I wasn't even thinking that was an option for me.
0: Right. Okay. So let's unpack that a bit. I would love to backtrack a little bit, Kristen, sorry, but tell me about, let's talk about your daughter, first of all, Yeah. and finding out the news that your transfer had worked, you were in fact pregnant. And then tell me about that pregnancy. Like we talk about a lot and I'm sure you talk about this on the groups with Fertility Rally too. You know, um, because you do pregnancy and sometimes the motherhood groups after infertility. Tell me about the anxiety or the feelings that you had after you had gone through, you know, all this infertility stuff, things weren't working, and then you did become pregnant. As we always say, it's not like, oh, now I can relax, right?
1: Right. Well, the first thing when I found out that it worked... So what I had done was I told my clinic because of my jobs... Oh, you'd asked about my job before too. I didn't tell them about doing IVF because I I was in a position higher up in the agency and I just didn't want people to know that I was doing something that might not work out. I didn't want to show any failure or weakness because I had to be the strong one to make really hard decisions. I was participating, hiring and firing and decisions about the whole agency. And so it was not a place for me to show that I was vulnerable and I was doing this thing that might not work out. Um, So I just wanted to close that loop. The second yes, thing is you. when I found out that I was pregnant, I told my clinic and I said on beta day, because I am on team, no test at home until after beta. That's my theory based on my experience and what I recommend my clients do. Um, but I did not test at home. And But I also wanted to go to work to be distracted for a little bit. And then I wanted to hear from my husband. And again, this was before my chart and all those things where you might get automatic notifications immediately. I knew we would get a call from the doctor. I requested that they called me after 4 p.m. So my husband and I just both planned to come home from work early that day so that we could just say at work, oh, hey, I have to leave early today and have it fly under the radar um, and meet at home. But my husband got stuck. And so he wasn't home in time. And the first phone call came and I didn't answer it because I wanted to hear it again. And then he was like, I'm super close. I'm almost there. And the doctor called again. And... Uh, I literally, like, remember, I opened up the door, our front door, because it looked out of the driveway, and my husband is driving in, and I answered the phone with him, like, in my view, and the doctor said, you're pregnant, and I just, like, jumped up and down, so he didn't hear it, but he was in his car, and he saw me, and he was terrified to find out, like, for him, he talks about the anxiousness of coming home not knowing what he would find, and so for him to have the visual of me jumping up and like that total pure crying joy was like the highlight. And for me to experience it where I was able to have him know and find out at the same time as me meant so much.
0: Oh my God. So, First of all, I got the full body chills right now when you said that. Secondly, tell me about getting so emotional right now. Why? Why yeah. is it so emotional still?
1: Well, because I'm still in it with all my clients and, you know, people with Fertility Rally, like what I want to say is I cannot wait for you to get that moment to. I know how hard the person listening is waiting and trying everything to get to like to that point. And so... It was not lost on me in that moment after what I'd been through. And it's still, almost seven years later, still not lost on me. It still is just as powerful. Um, you know what? And
0: the reason I ask you, and obviously no judgment at all because I got emotional as well while you were telling that, I just want to stress the fact that and normalize the fact that it is still so ingrained in us what we went through even years later. And you know, if anybody is listening and you know, is feeling like I shouldn't be feeling this way anymore, or, you know, why am I getting so choked up? I think it's just totally normal because going through infertility is traumatic and it's devastating and it's a roller coaster and it's one of the hardest things ever. And so I think that, you know, when I talk, I was being interviewed the other day for something and I started crying and I was like, oh my God, like it just, it's still there. You know, it never really goes away and i think that's just really interesting and i want to you know show support to anybody that might still be feeling emotional or just kind of con- like confused about their emotions you know cuz it's such a big thing to go through so um Absolutely. that's why i asked yeah this episode is brought to you by vegamore i'm always trying to do right by my body so when it comes to my hair and scalp health finding a product that actually works and is made with clean ingredients always seems like a trade-off, but with Vegamore, I get products that are made with clean ingredients and give me visibly healthy hair and scalp. With Vegamore, I am able to have noticeably thicker, fuller, shinier, longer hair, all without the harsh ingredients. Every cute pink bottle of Vegamore products are 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Okay, so I got my box of Vegamore products and I've been using them all for the past month. The shampoo, the conditioner, the grow hair serum, the hair foam, the eyelash serum, the eyebrow serum. It's been about a month, like I said, and my hair really does feel stronger and thicker. Everything looks better. And the shampoo in particular, I have to say, smells really good. The key is consistency in your routine for your most beautiful, healthy looking hair. I use Vegamore grow hair serum daily and my hair and scalp are feeling better than ever. Here's another cool thing. Vegamore has these great value kits like the Grow Essentials Kit, where you get to try more than one amazing product at a time at great savings. So when you sign up for a monthly subscription, you save more and you never run low on the products that you need. And fun fact, guys, Vegamore sells one bottle of the Grow Hair Serum every 15 seconds on their website. That's how good this stuff is. So here is the deal, my beautiful listeners. For a limited time, you can get 20% off your first order by going to vegamore.com slash infertileaf and using code A F at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash A F, code infertileaf to save 20% on your first order. dot rcom slash A F, code infertileaf. Thanks, Vegamore.
1: But it's a really good point. And my clients know like there's never room for apologizing for tears and feelings. No. So I wear my feelings on my, heart and my sleeve. And um, so it's it's really it is such a big moment. And um, I know so many people who go through recurrent pregnancy loss getting the news of being pregnant cannot feel that good anymore either, too. So I know how special that moment was. Absolutely.
0: Um, yeah yeah I remember yeah. when they when I was got pregnant with Sunny and they were like you're pregnant call us when you deliver and I was like wait what that's it you're like kicking me to the curb like no I need you to hold my hand like this is still so scary you know Yeah it
1: totally is um but like you que- asked before about the pregnancy experience Yes I really loved every minute of it and that's one of the things that I had to um almost not get over, but accept that I wouldn't be pregnant again and go through that experience. My whole life, I've sucked my stomach in. And so as soon as I was told I was pregnant, I stopped sucking in my stomach. And I was so grateful to have some relief to not have to do that. And I really did love every minute. But what I noticed did happen was there was always that fear of the other shoe to drop and not truly 100% believing until my daughter was in my arms. Um, and so I talk about, and I work on this with my clients about moving the goal line. I see this happen with everybody because going through infertility is traumatic and people don't talk about it like it's a trauma, but it is month after month after month. It is It's trauma, and you're experiencing it over and over again. And so it's really hard to go beyond the next step. So everybody pushes that goal line. Oh, I'll be happy when the beta doubles. I'll be happy when I see the heartbeat. I'll be happy when I graduate and go to the OB or when I hit the second trimester or 20 weeks or 24 and viability. And that's just moving the goal line. So part of what I do with my clients with working on them while they're still trying to conceive is to help them understand how or to know that that's going to come and that's normal and natural, but also how to work on that so that they're not moving the goal line through their pregnancy and they can enjoy more of it. Because I didn't document every part like I wish I had. And I didn't share every part because I was also still so sensitive to everybody else because I had a Finsta that I was documenting my whole infertility journey on. And so it felt really hard to share the good parts, knowing that people
0: watching were still waiting. So, okay. So wait, I want to hear about your Finsta. So if anybody doesn't know what that is, (laughs) fake Instagram account, Um, Tara Lipinski talked about hers on my show. Um, And what was your Finsta handle? Um, It
1: was TTC Kiki. So um, because one of my nicknames is Kiki. And at one point, Instagram did this really uncool technology where your cell phone number was attached to your account. And so it could offer people you might know. And so it literally sent me messages like, oh, you might know this person. And it was all my friends in my personal life. Oh, shit. And that meant that they were getting, oh, you might know this person, this T -t 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 tiki. And so two and two together there, right? That was pretty traumatic. Did anybody contact you that like you weren't expecting to? Yes, a couple people I had had that account private, so a couple people then requested to follow me and so I depending on some of the people I let them know to say, "Hey, um this is a private Instagram account. This is not related to anything that you'd
0: be interested in." And just kind of mm-hmm. swept it under the rug. Right, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um okay, so moving on with your story, tell me what happened when you did that next transfer. The sibling cycle? The sibling um, cycle, yes. Yeah, so
1: I, at this point, I'm on cloud nine. I'm the mom I always wanted to be. I have this beautiful, amazing daughter. And nursing was really hard. I actually had to exclusively pump. And so I just want to say that because so many people also spend so much of their trying to conceive journey focusing on trying to conceive. And then they think about the delivery, but people don't think about past delivery as much as I think they should. And nursing was really hard. And I thought it would be easy. And I... It opened up the wound of "oh, my body is failing me," again. That came from infertility. So I just want people to hear this and know that that might happen. I was not something I even knew
0: was a thing. Yeah, Um, spoken like a true coach. (laughs) I love it.
1: (laughs) I love it. I can't help it. Um, and so I went and went through the process, and but I was like, "I'm a pro. I know," and I also have no pressure because I'm already a mom which isn't really true. <laughs> it's still, there's still a lot of pressure because there's this feeling of, I wanted my daughter to have siblings and I wanted my daughter to have those relationships like I do. And so it was hard in that pressure sense. It wasn't the same pressure of, I, what if I never become a mom? But it was more of pressure about her life and what's her quality of life going to be. So it's, a, it, it's moving it to a different focus point, but it still added pressure and stress. I handled it pretty well. Luckily, she was uh, sleep trained. So she was often asleep when I had to do shots at night. So I wasn't, and she was six months old. So I wasn't like wow. doing shots in front of her, nothing that she would know or right. know about. Right. And I just had to coordinate childcare when I went there because you know, what's not so fun is to see a baby when you're at the infertility clinic.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I know. I know there's people that can't coordinate the childcare that have to find themselves in that position, but you know, obviously it can be really triggering too. So mm-hmm. I get that. I totally get that. Yeah. Um, so
1: I, we were able to handle, At all, I did get a polyp, and so I remember where I went to the last appointment of the frozen transfer because I was like, "I'm a badass. I'm now 38. I was 38, and I was like, and I got more embryos than when I was 36. Like, this is amazing. My body, yeah, that is amazing. And so we had the one good embryo, and my daughter was the one good embryo. So I don't scream. You only need one good embryo because I. I hated that kind of news myself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No matter what number you get, you always want more. It's just a fact, whether that's when they tell you on your follicle scan or if that's like what they tell you on your genetic testing, like you're always going to want more. So of course, I was disappointed with one out of seven or eight but I was grateful f- to not think about having to do that many transfers without it ever having the chance. Mm-hmm. But I went to that appointment to be like, Oh, I'm getting my schedule. I can't wait. And I get told I'm having surgery instead. Right. And that was really shitty. Cause I didn't even know
0: that a polyp was a thing. My friend, Jay Palumbo, she, when I interviewed her at the very beginning of this podcast and she had polyps and she called, she named her polyp Jackson polyp. <laughs> And that always made me laugh
1: so hard. That's amazing. I missed I that opportunity. Way to go! You're right, You're
0: right, exactly. <laughs> um, so, okay, so things are getting waylaid, right? And mm-hmm. you know, I think that's important to talk about too. Is that no matter what the journey is that you go through, it never seems to go as planned, right? Never. With mm-hmm. all the people that you've worked with and your own journey as well, what are some of the Let's talk about that a little bit like some of the delays and things happening like what can you think of any specific experiences with people that you've coached where like they just got thrown off because of x y and z what were some like specifics
1: um covid and clinics having to close mm-hmm. that was like wild card who called that one you right. know i mean i remember one of the challenges in my own experience was cuz i lived in the south is the hurricane season and fedex sending you a message to say hey your delivery is going to be delayed now this did not impact my transfer but like there are people who live in areas where there's been really bad storms and you're worried if your embryos are in frozen storage are even going to be okay luckily the clinics have done an amazing job i think of Um, advertising and talking about, Hey, we have this backup system. Your stuff is safe and okay. Um, But I think COVID and clinics literally having to close in the middle of cycles was one of the biggest things I've Mm -hmm. had clients where they show up and their embryo um, does not make the thawing. It doesn't survive. So they show up and they have nothing to transfer. Um, I had one client who got a flat tire on her way to her transfer. And you know how much they time your trigger shot and you're supposed to show up and have your transfer at a certain point. So she was delayed. But the coolest part of that story is that a woman pulled over to help her was a nurse who worked in the pregnancy unit at the hospital. And she told her, she's like, I'm supposed to go to my embryo transfer. Like, I have to be on time. And she got a ride. And she said, I'll see you in nine months. And it <gasps> actually, that transfer Shut. worked. Oh, my God. You just gave me the chills again. I know. Is it So like, that's a really cool story. That's a
0: cool story. Yeah.
1: I'm enough removed from my own experience and years that it works out. Like, it It doesn't work out how we think. Again, I've experienced this with my marriage, <laughs> my family building, where I live, all of it. And in the moment, it feels so hard and impossible. But I see over and over and ag- over again, like, it always does work out. It's just never the way we think or the timeline we think. The challenges mm-hmm. that we... We think because it doesn't look how we think and it doesn't happen the timeline we think that it might never happen or it will be bad or worse. And that's not always
0: true. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I just can you speak care. to just people who might be listening? Like, it does, you know, it, it, my therapist, I remember when I was going through it, was telling me and got me to the point where, like, no matter what happens, you're going to be okay. And that was like a big mindset shift for me because mm-hmm. I felt mm-hmm. so like rudderless for so long and like unhinged and like, I wasn't going to be okay. So kind of the same thing that you're saying, but like for people, you know, as you know, it doesn't always mean that you're going to walk away with a baby at the end of this. Right. So let's touch, touch on that a little bit too, because I always love to give all the different, you know, outcomes and all the different perspectives. You know, if somebody decides to pivot from treatment, can have you worked with anybody that's gone that route?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to work with people through all di- different types of diagnoses, diagnoses, different ages. Some of my clients have done 10 rounds and some have done one and it works out. Some mm-hmm. have to walk away, some do mm-hmm. donor and mm-hmm. adoption and all of the above. So, mm-hmm. I also personally went through IVF to become a mom and also walked away with it still looking different than what I had imagined. And yeah. So That does help because I'm not just here with my beautiful, perfect, Instagram-worthy family saying, you're going to be okay, honey. Just give it time.
0: Totally. Um,
1: (laughs) So I think it does help that I had to walk away with it not looking like I wanted either. And I'm okay with it. So I'm the living example that in time with the work and with focusing on the areas of your life that do matter, I think it all stems from us attaching our purpose in life to being a mother, to having this role. And when you can see that you actually have a purpose in this life outside of that, and guess what? All the friends you have that are moms are also questioning their purpose and worth in life, even with their babies. Mm -hmm. And so I used to celebrate where I would buy myself flowers every time a client got pregnant, but I don't believe that I help you get pregnant. I help you handle the days until you're pregnant and then beyond it. And so I started celebrating when I get the message from my client that says, My transfer is tomorrow and I know I'll be okay no matter what.
0: Yeah. And so just yeah.
1: like you said, like it takes off the pressure too when you're going through this the transfer still or the egg retrieval. But you can want this so, so bad and still have an amazing life in the meantime and after if it doesn't look like you think. Mm -hmm. It helps to find people who have done that though. Like Mm -hmm. I was just talking to a client who said, I've seen so many stories about people doing transfers and then having a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. We've gone through IVF and then they have a miscarriage. And it's because most people talk about their hard times more often, like they share Mm -hmm. it in these environments more openly than people sharing their good news. So I encouraged her to go find people who are in the position where they did a transfer and did not have a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. I have another client who's going back to work and is traveling a lot. And she's like, how do I be a mom and travel and do my job and still be an awesome mom? And I said, go find Women, you know, who are in awesome roles, who travel all the time, and are still amazing moms. You need to find examples of other people in your life to show you that it's possible. So then you can personalize it and know that it's possible for you too.
0: Right, right. So and let's that's go why back what to- you
1: do is so helpful.
0: Well, thank right? you. Like you're
1: showing that with Fertility Rally and putting people together and connecting them. You're showing them this example of what's possible day and day with all yeah. of the different stories. So it's well, really it's basically.
0: Powerful. You know, it stemmed from what I wish I would have had when I was going through it, you know. So that's where that whole, the grain <laughs> yep, of the same. idea came from. <laughs> Tell me, going back to your story, let's talk about the sibling cycle a little bit more. And, you know, okay. when you you said you did get pregnant and then mm-hmm. had a miscarriage. Tell me about that experience and how did you navigate?
1: Well, we were pretty excited. We're like, it's happening. Hooray. And I didn't even have, just like I didn't have a polyp on my radar as like something that would happen to me. I didn't have a miscarriage either because that I had never gotten pregnant before my daughter's pregnancy. And mm-hmm. so that wasn't an option to me. So we were moving forward. It was like, great. We're military. So we knew, knew we'd be moving at some point. So I, I also, <laughs> when I was pregnant with my daughter, the first time my my daughter. I got into a car accident and I had to get a new car and I got a minivan. because I was like, I'm going to be, I'm pregnant and I'm going to be a mom of many. And then here I was just six months ago, a mom of one with a minivan. And -hmm. I got into another car accident and I had to get a new car and I did not get a minivan because I've accepted that I don't need a minivan. Like that's That's just not the life I'm in. I don't need a minivan for my one. So yeah, we, we weren't cautious. I was hopeful. I didn't have any reason to believe that there would be a problem. And I went in for my last like graduating ultrasound at the no, not even at the clinic. It was at the OB. It was my first appointment at the OB. And so I, my husband was there and I went in and this was also the OB and the nurse and the ult, the ultrasound sonographer who I started doing all those IUIs with. So it was local and I went in and she looked at me with like this face and I just, I knew. And, um, uh, my mm-hmm. husband's there, I was like,
0: what, what <laughs> it's like, the face, it's the face. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's the face. And she knew me well enough. And she was like, I need, I'm, let me go get the doctor. And so I was like, oh, that sucks so bad. Um, they did handle it well telling me and then giving me a room. And then also they have a side exit. And I've heard so many stories of women who get that ultrasound where they're expecting to see a heartbeat and see the baby and they don't. And then they're ushered through their front door and saying, sorry, bye, call us in your next cycle kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really grateful that they gave me the room so that we could sit and process and cry privately. That's um, so and great. And then had that back exit. So if there's any doctors totally. listening, please no, seriously. that. A requirement as part of that process.
0: Absolutely. Such a good point. I'm so sorry yeah. that that yeah. went that way for you.
1: Yeah, me too. Um, and it it happens more than we think and that we know right. about and that sucks. So.
0: Right. So then with that being the last healthy embryo, right, were you guys like, okay, we're closing the chapter on building family anymore? And tell me about yeah. having that conversation with your husband and, and how did you, was there like a grieving process to Not just, not only the loss of your baby, which obviously is devastating, but we always talk about the loss of like what you thought your life was going to be.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I always talk about the guidebook. Like we have a guidebook on our life on how everybody else should be and how it should look. So, yeah, same thing. The weird thing was two weeks earlier, I had just given a public speech (laughs) about how to be a good friend in bad times. And I shared with a group of like 100 women on how to be supportive to people through so many different life events that happen because I see that most people want to be the good friend and they just don't know how and they get into this place where they're stuck and then they don't do anything. Mm-hmm. So I helped people with things to do, things to say, things not to say. And so that was that's the speech. I still give that speech out now. Um, and I shared, I was like, and good news, we're pregnant with our sibling cycle. And then two weeks later, I lost it. And I don't remember much, but I remember so many of the women who were in that group who then heard the news showed up. They did the things that I had just talked about. And so when I think about sometimes the timing not working as we think, my first reaction was I'm mortified that I just announced to 100 strangers that I'm pregnant and then I lost it. And they found out, and then they all freaking delivered, and they brought meals, and they sent cards, and they checked in on me, and they checked in again and again, Mm -hmm. and some checked in a year later. And it was like, this happened so that I could get that support, so I could actually be the recipient of all the support that I had been giving out to so many other people. My husband and I, we definitely grieved, and we grieved differently. You talk a lot about your relationship with your husband going through infertility, and two different humans grieve differently, whether they're in a relationship or not. Mm -hmm. And having the decision that that was our only cycle, because also we paid a hundred percent out of pocket for three Mm -hmm. rounds. So Mm -hmm. when it came time to it, could we come up with more money and do it again? Yes. But was that the best thing for us to do? Our decision was no, like we had a daughter already, like that's blowing her college money. Right. So totally. Um, we, excited, we had decided ahead of time. Now, what I've learned now since I've become a coach is making a decision ahead of time means you make a very reasonable decision with the best information you have, as opposed to making the decision in the moment. So many women come to me and they message me and they're like, I just had a failed transfer yesterday. I don't know what to do. Well, nobody knows what to do in that moment. It's like, I ran the New York City Marathon. It's one of my best achievements.
0: Mm-hmm. If
1: you asked me that day, are you going to run another one? I'd be like, "No, mm-hmm. I just finished. I just want a burger, right? Like, totally, yeah. this is not the time to make that decision. So one, you don't have to make a decision today. And we luckily knew a plan. So we didn't have to make that decision. So even though we were going through this experience that was not even, it totally just hit us from out of nowhere There was some relief knowing that the decision had been made, and it was a really good decision. Like we loved our reasons for that decision that we had made months before. That being said, write your goal in pen, but your plan in pencil. Like some like that.
0: Some people change their
1: minds. Like it's also okay to change your mind. Luckily, neither of us did, and it felt good to have that decision sort of pre-made, and we're happy with it. And right. Life is great. It doesn't look like I thought at all. I used to live in New York city and I live in the suburb of South Carolina, no longer with the minivan, but
0: like it's okay. I'm happy. That's so good. So before we wrap, you always talk about, you know, what you wish you would have known. And, you know, you, I know that's a big thing. And I think it's so valuable for people who are new to this world or, you know, kind of struggling right now. What's some, what are some things, some key takeaways, you know, knowing what you know now, like, what do you wish you knew then?
1: Well, we already talked about one thing is that it always takes longer than you think. Totally. The other thing is do not wait until you're sort of at the moment where you're crying by yourself in the closet or the shower where you don't want anybody to know before you reach out to get help.
0: I like crying in the car, Kristen.
1: Okay. All right. The car might work for you. I worked <laughs> in an office. And so like, I had to go into the, like into the bathroom. Right. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes I say like when you're on the floor and you're eating the tub of ice cream, like from the tub, right. With the spoon on the floor, like don't wait till you get to that level before yeah. getting the help you need and the help you need is up to you. There's so many options and it's. It is up to you to find what works best for you and what you need, but know that there are options out there. There are people out there who would love to help you, and you do not have to go through this alone. Like, you're not the only one going through it, but also you don't have to go through it alone because this is hard. It will tear the strongest, mightiest person down. It doesn't discriminate. It is the amount of months it takes for someone to get to the IVF stage is already depleting you. And People get burnt out and exhausted. And if you're not replenishing yourself, it might make you stop sooner than you're ready. So get the help you need.
0: Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, check out my new book called Work of Art. It's at infertileoffgroup.com slash books. Thank you so much to everybody who has already purchased it and shared it. Also, check out Fertility Rally if you guys want a safe space to land and a group that gets it. We are the worst club with the best members, and we've got some really great support groups every week. We have some events coming up. We have Fertility Rally Live coming up in April once again, and just so much support. So join our fam. Everyone is welcome. You're bound to find not even one, but many, many people who can relate to your story. If you join our group and if you ever want to check out a support group, you can just DM me and ask to. That is totally cool as well. So we just want to be there for you guys. Check out fertility rally.com. And again, check out work of art at slash books. Thank you so much. Sending you all so much love.